Hello everyone, welcome to our Saturday broadcast. We're here as usual to answer questions you have about your meditation practice. So if you're new here, new to our community, then I suggest you follow the link at the bottom of the screen to learn how we teach and practice meditation. You can find information on our main website about our courses. Everything we offer is free, so this isn't the plug for making money or anything. This is just because people are looking for support, looking for help. So we are here to respond to that need. If people stop looking for support, stop asking questions, we will stop providing or we won't come knocking on your door and we certainly won't send you a bill so feel welcome and don't be afraid if you have questions this is the time we spend the first 15 minutes gathering questions and it's also an opportunity to practice a little bit of silent meditation in preparation for the session so I will be back at 15 minutes after the hour. In the meantime, just post your questions in chat. And once you've done that, do a little bit of meditation and we'll come back soon and answer, start to answer the questions.
All right, we're back. So we'll begin to ask and answer the questions. You can post more questions in chat if you you want. Thank you, Bhante. We do have questions. While sitting, if one feels a tension in your body, hips, hands, etc., should we consciously release it or simply observe it and allow it to persist? Tension in the body. Um, sorry, can you repeat the question? I don't have the video up at the moment. While sitting, if one feels a tension in your body, hips, hands, etc., should we consciously release it or simply observe it and allow it to persist? You should just note it. I don't know if you've read our booklet on how to meditate, but that would be a good place to start. note of it you can also note if you're react if there's reactions to it like disliking of it or that sort of thing as i am becoming more aware of myself suppressed feelings of revenge hatred and thoughts to hurt people are coming up any advice particularly for revenge Well, one thing you can acknowledge to yourself or try and make clear to yourself, get clear in your mind, is that thoughts are independent of emotions. So they're going to be triggered by emotions and they're going to trigger emotions. But the thoughts of hurting people, thoughts about revenge, try not to get lost in the weeds of the thicket of, of the details of Oh, I can't believe I thought this or I thought that. That's not really important. That's only a product of the the emotions. It's the emotions that you have to be vigilant about. So it just takes time to gain clarity and, and understanding and familiarity with those emotions to the point where you are clear in the mind, where the mind actually tastes how unpleasant they are. Really feels viscerally how bad it is to hate, how bad it is to seek revenge, and so on. But um, the, the approach you have to take is to be objective. Don't immediately uh, condemn yourself for having these thoughts, especially the thoughts, because thoughts are, are innocent. The th no matter what you think, the thinking isn't something you should feel guilty about. It's the, the feeling, the emotion, the anger, the hatred, that sort of thing shouldn't feel guilty about that per se, but you should be vigilant about it and diligent facing it, noting it, keeping your mind out of its grasp so that it doesn't lead to anything. It just leads to a appreciation of how unpleasant it is. If you show yourself how unpleasant anger and, and such are, then your mind just inclines away from them. I was exploited emotionally and physically by someone, followed by an exchange of harsh words from that deceptive person. I am unable to move on. How do I let go of the past and those memories? Right, again, this is this kind of question is about the, uh, the, the perception we have or the conception we have about letting go. And we, we say letting go, but what we really mean is getting rid of. And you have to understand that those are two very different things. Letting go means not being concerned with whether it comes or goes. That's really what letting go is. So moving on, letting go. The well, moving on is 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 a red herring. It's a it's the barking up the wrong tree. You don't move on. You understand the the way to be free from things is not to move on. It's to become more familiar. So it's actually the the opposite direction and somewhat counterintuitive because we think 
well, I want to get away from this. Why would I pay more attention to it? It's only by paying attention to it that you can truly be free from its pull. It's not about being free from the experiences, the memories, and that sort of thing, even the emotions. It's about being free of their pull. So the emotions are kind of a pull, but you, you get pulled in by the emotions and then they snowball. You get angry about your anger. You feel bad about feeling bad. I mean, you, 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 it becomes a feedback loop where it gets stronger and stronger and stronger because you just go over and over and again without really being mindful. And you feel trapped because you just want to get away and you can't get away. And that's the problem is trying to get away, thinking you can fix or cure or control. And mindfulness is sort of the opposite direction, more about it, closer to accepting. You accept the emotions. So we talk about accepting. If you accept it, then you won't have these unaccepting feelings, but you have to accept the unaccepting feelings, the anger, the, the sadness, the, the even fear or worry or those kinds of things, guilt or sometimes. You have to not accept them, but you have to understand them. It's kind of like a close to accepting, but not really, not exactly. It's understanding. And when you understand, then they just disappear. Because they're useless, they're harmful, in fact. I read a lot of books, and it hinders the meditation, and I have not meditated for one month. Do you have any advice? Well, mostly to be patient with poor meditation. It will appear that your meditation quality is quite poor because of the distractions involved, but it can be a problem when we expect that our meditation should be pleasant and peaceful, and we feel like it's futile otherwise, and it's really not. It's it's dangerous to not meditate, just because it's hard, just because it's challenging. If you, if you just give up meditating and then for a month you don't meditate, you do develop a lot of bad habits, and your bad habits that exist get worse. So you have to be able to do it anyway, and just accept that it's not going to be great. Try and do lying meditation, which is very good when your mind is restless because of all the mental activity from reading so much. Lying meditation can be a real boon. Is it okay to sometimes force ourselves to meditate or create a meditation schedule where I meditate at the same time each day? It's okay. I wouldn't worry too much about that. You have to pay attention to the aversion to meditate. There's really never any reason not to meditate. And there's not not many good reasons not to meditate. Uh, I mean, the only big one is I've got something else that practically I have to do, like I have to eat or I have to work or that sort of thing. Um, but what, what the, the problem will be if you quote-unquote force yourself by ignoring the aversion and then you don't know that you just push through and ignore the fact that you don't like it. You have to meditate on the disliking. You have to take the disliking as an object, the aversion, all, all the, even the greed or the desire to do something else, that sort of thing. My foot goes numb after 20 minutes of sitting, even on a soft mat. Is it okay to not move and keep meditating with a numb foot another 40 minutes, total one hour? Or can it cause health problems? No, in fact, I think in the long term it, it works. It's, it, it, it encourages blood flow, like it makes your blood flow stronger. It would be a problem if you sat like that for hours uh, and you did that daily. Apparently that can have physical repercussions. But that's why we do walking meditation. As long as you're doing some walking meditation... Uh, you you won't have any problem. Like I don't know if you think think of you've heard of people or you've ever experienced where you you wake up and you were you slept the wrong way and your whole arm is numb or something like that. Uh, there's no health repercussions for it. It's just it would be if it was extreme hours or that sort of thing. 
hours and then it would have to be days probably because that can apparently have repercussion when you never do any walking. At my workplace, I'm finding a loss of words for conversation. People expect me to participate in stories and it doesn't make sense for me while being mindful. I need to keep my job to raise my children. Do you have advice to continue to progress on the path with mindfulness while appearing normal? Well, the, there's, I guess, two things I might say. Um, the first is to accept that life is going to be unpleasant. No, no, that's not fair. Life is going to have unpleasant aspects to it. What I mean by it's going to be unpleasant is to me just means that there's going to be there's going to be unpleasantness. There's also, of course, many things that are very pleasant that that's it would be ignorant to suggest otherwise. But it's not going to be entirely pleasant. Is the point, and you can't you can't avoid that. So you're always going to be confronted with uncomfortable situations, and so are they. So they expect you to be a certain way, and it's uncomfortable for them that you're not that way. Welcome to reality. Welcome, welcome to that's life. You know, talking to my father about someone and someone who is dealing with real difficulty. Well, that's life. Um, so the first thing is is to just appreciate that it's never going to be pleasant and. It's not a sign that there's a problem when it is awkward, when people are, are unhappy with you. You're never going to avoid that, not unless you go and live in the in the forest. Even in monasteries, you find even if you're practicing okay, there still can be people who are who who doesn't don't who are upset or uh, displeased by your behavior, that sort of thing. Jealous, even I mean, there's horrible things that can happen, and sometimes it's just not your fault. That being said. There are ways that we act that are ignorant and unmindful, where we, um, for example, feel um, feel imposed upon, or uh, interrupted, or, or or people are are butting in on your your quiet time. Right, you're meditating, and someone comes and bothers you, and you get really angry and say, "I'm meditating." That's not not working very well if you're like that. Um, so you have to understand that mindfulness isn't doesn't mean shutting people out. Uh, it doesn't mean being putting up a wall. It's not that kind of meditation. You have to get a sense of your ability to roll with the punches. And if someone interrupts your meditation, you just roll with it. Be mindful. And uh, that that was the other the other thing I was going to say is one thing. It's just a small thing, but it seems to be quite helpful is learn to smile learn to 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 and, and maybe it's just a good example of of the sort of thing that helps and there's maybe many other sorts of things like this is that you smiling is is a is a kind um presentation you present kindness but it's possible to smile without actually um engaging Sometimes when people talk to you, say something to you, and expect a response, you 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 uh, don't meet their expectations, but you put them, you disarm them, or you you throw them off guard by smiling. So you're not giving them the cold shoulder, but you are dismissing them. But you're dismissing them with a smile. So sometimes, and it's just an example. Maybe there are other ways that you can think of how this works where you respond, but you don't engage. So sometimes, I mean, it works, of course, much better for a monk or a meditator. Uh, meditation centers, this is the advice I would give to meditators. If if another meditator is bugging you or, or try, engaging with you to try to get you to chat or talk or, or otherwise disturb your meditation, learn to smile and walk away. Because they may not be happy about it, but you smiled at them, so they can't say, oh, what a horrible, miserable person that is. Well, they're not a miserable person. They smiled at me, and they were clearly friendly. But it helps them understand that you're introvert. You're introverted, at least at the moment. So I find it quite powerful to smile and walk away. 
it it doesn't necessarily make the people happy but there's not a lot they can do to criticize they may and they and i've had this happen to me where people were okay why you know whatever i just keep walking kind of thing someone actually said that to me i'm, I'm walking down i walk every day now and someone uh sitting outside as a couple of times said hey i like your suit and and then they said hi and I just smiled and kept walking. And they said they were kind of they said something that was not very friendly. I think because I wasn't waving back or saying hi or anything. But I was walking on alms round, so I felt it more appropriate to. Well, it's kind of inappropriate to yell at people who, are, who you don't even know. But uh, I, I didn't want to yell back. So yeah, in in certain cases there. There's going to be this sort of awkwardness, but uh, there are ways to find a sort of a middle ground where you're being friendly but not engaging. That's the point. Is it true that the Buddha said that thoughts create reality? Do positive affirmations help during meditation? They can. They can. I wouldn't expect them to perform miracles, but uh, it's called aditana. Aditana, you can make an aditana for something to happen, and there's a power to it. But how much power is the real question. It's, it's, not, it's usually a lot less than you might think, where you can't just wish for something to happen and it happens. It can. It can work out that way, and it can certainly do that. One issue with that kind of thinking is it, it it ends up being fairly controlling and ex expectational. Is that a word? You have expectations. Um, so yeah, positive affirmations are a bad idea because they they create that kind of a mind state where you ex have expectations and you want for things and you prefer certain things. They're not the same as mindfulness. Mindfulness is similar no it's not it's it's the same kind of thing as a positive affirmation but it's more of a of a existential affirmation you affirm that something is there and that's a lot more profound perhaps than it sounds but an existential affirmation is not affirming that something is positive or affirming the positive to to reinforce it what you're reinforcing is the existential nature the actual existence of it and that rea that affirmation does something very different than positive affirmations. What it does is it uh, blocks out any uh, reactions. You're instead of allowing for um, liking or disliking or partiality or expectation, you reaffirm the existence of the thing. So you basically put your mind into in a in a loop. It loop back so seeing is just seeing hearing is just hearing this is the buddha's words right so it's an existential affirmation positive affirmations the point is to block out negativity right that's one of the big reasons for positive affirmations but that's not mindfulness mindfulness is blocking out something different Could you discuss equanimity versus indifference trap? I don't know the word trap there. I, I mean, I guess I kind of get what you're probably referring to. Like, it's a trap because it's not good. I mean, I don't see that there being an indifference trap. It's a bad habit. You could say certain types of indifference. I mean, these are just words. Um, I think teachers would say that, um, from what I hear, the scholar teachers will tell you that indifference is a type of equanimity. So equanimity has many different types, they would say. But they're just words. Um, indifference isn't necessarily a bad thing. It could be a description of enlightenment, depending on how you interpret it. So... Indifference is normally the kind of word that we use for someone who is is just ignoring things and not caring about 
they about um, ethics. And what I mean by that really is not caring about the fact that they like or dislike things. So I'm I'm an angry person and I don't care. It's really kind of ridiculous statement, right? Because being angry is caring. Or I'm addicted to this and I don't care. Eh, no big deal. See, I'm an, I'm equanimous about my greed, but you're not because greed isn't equanimity. Greed is wanting. Um, it's kind of a delusion that perpetuates or allows for greed and anger, even though it seems indifferent. If you really have no greed or anger, then it's great. And there's there's indifference is not a bad word. But being indifferent about greed and anger is usually what it comes down to. You're indifferent about, you, you claim indifference or you feign indifference. But the truth is you're, you're very different. That's not the word. You're very um, dif- differentiating, differential. You, you differentiate, you like and dislike. So you're not very equanimous. So it's kind of misleading to say you're indifferent. We can say that, and it's usually used as, or it's often used as a defense, kind of saying, oh, I don't care. But you really do. It's just, if you say that, you can you can avoid having to face, having to look closely and see that you actually do care very much. I'm depressed over the impermanence of youth. How do I enjoy and make the most of my youth and not take it for granted without getting upset at aging? Well, you have to start looking this a little bit at this a little bit differently. You're not depressed because of the impermanence of youth. That's important to understand. So you being depressed over something is not because of that thing. That thing doesn't make you depressed. And you're not saying that, but you may be feeling that. And that's where you get into problems where you think that if you were to say, which you didn't say, but if you were to say, impermanence of youth makes me depressed, but it doesn't. And that's what you have to understand. Saying that I'm depressed over something is, is fine. It's actually a, good, a better statement. But be clear that that's, your, that's on you and it has nothing to do with impermanence of youth. Impermanence of youth could lead to enlightenment. If you really saw impermanence, so the, probably the fact is you're not really seeing impermanence, otherwise you wouldn't be depressed. But if you really saw it, you would be enlightened. You'd be free from depression. Depression is because of our uh, expectation of stability. And you're depressed not over... You're depressed over something being impermanent when uh, you want permanence, you want stability. So what's really making you depressed is your ignorance and your delusion in regards to, to permanence. That's what's really causing the depression, the delusion that there could be some permanence or that there should be some permanence, the craving for something stable and permanent, permanent, something lasting. As for enjoying and making the most of, of something, I'm not going to get into the details. It doesn't matter what it is. My youth is not relevant here. Enjoying and making the most of something is wrong practice. It's not Buddhist practice. We're not trying to enjoy things. That's not how you find happiness. That's not how you find peace. Peace doesn't come from enjoying anything or making making the most or the least of anything. It comes from not making anything out of anything. That's the point. So when you say make the most out of something, i got to stop you right there and say you're practicing in a way that's just going to lead you to more suffering. If you make anything out of anything, it's only going to lead, it's only going to set you up for suffering. And the way to be free from suffering is to not make anything, most or least, out of anything. Youth or age or anything. And again, getting upset at, if, you want, if you're asking about getting upset at X, Y, or Z, be it aging or, or anything else under the sun, um, that's just on you. That's, that's because you don't see impermanent suffering and non-self. You don't see that that thing is impermanent suffering and non-self. You don't see that that thing is not worth getting upset over. And you're probably not getting upset at aging, you're getting upset at the loss of youth. Well, also aging. I mean, really aging can be upsetting the the crippled crippled body and 
feeble faculties, that sort of thing. That, that can be quite upsetting, but it's mostly to do with the loss of, of what you enjoy now. You're afraid to lose all the good faculties and strong body, that sort of thing. So I'd recommend reading our booklet on how to meditate. You can do our at-home course on how to meditate. I don't know if you've done any of that yet, but if you haven't, well, that's what I recommend. That's what we have to offer. How can you identify if you are making progress in your meditation? Well, you have to be a little bit patient because sometimes we we look from one session to the next and say, "Did I did I improve during that session?" And if you were practicing correctly, then most certainly you did improve. But how are you going to be able to measure that? It's so slight, and it just takes much more time to to allow for it to seep into your being, kind of thing, you know. But over the long term, how you identify is that you have. Quite simply, less greed, less anger, and less delusion. That's really the the right answer to this question. You have less greed, less anger, and less delusion. So you could say, generally speaking, you have less of those than you can say you're probably making progress. When I don't want to face a certain thought or image, can I note avoiding? As in, I try to avoid the arising phenomena so I don't have to face it. Yeah, that's okay. You could say worry or fear as well. Disliking. I mean, worry, fear is a kind of disliking, but you could notice that there's disliking. Avoiding is okay. You might want to be a little clear about whether you're afraid of it or worried about it or disliking the thought of it, that sort of thing. But it's, it's not wrong. Can you explain why very little is presented by anyone about standing meditation? Well, the Buddha recommended walking and sitting. Uh, I think because um they are more comfortable standing is not as comfortable in the long term though it can be if you train in it so my guess is just that walking and sitting are the most like, i mean of course lying is more comfortable than, than any of them but less uh, conducive normally less uh, comfortable in the sense of comfortable for, for the purposes of meditation. Lying is problematic for in many cases because, of course, you fall asleep or you start to drift off or that sort of thing. Too relaxed. But it can also be quite valuable. So I don't know. I mean, it's just kind of a, does this question really help you with your practice? Do you really need an answer to this? We tell you to do walking and sitting, so do walking and sitting. That's the best I have for you. Uh, but, you know, we do recommend in certain cases to do standing. When I would recommend that, if you're walking and it's just too overwhelming, you're, you're too distracted, then do some standing meditation. Or if you're sitting and you're falling asleep, you can get up and do standing meditation. Those are two examples of where you find the medium to push yourself a little bit in, that, in the, uh, the direction opposite to the hindrance. I think that the Buddha suggests in the Dhammapada that a lay person should spend their youth gathering wealth. Verses 155-156. Have I understood correctly? So I think that those two verses relate to um, uh, the comparison between cultivating wisdom and... You know, not cultivating wisdom, living the holy life. Um, so I think the point there is is making the the connection that just as 
in a worldly sense, if someone hasn't gathered wealth while they were while they're young, they're going to regret it when they're old. They're going to cry and be upset when they're old. And likewise, if and more importantly, on a, on a more important level, if you haven't done any kind of holy spiritual practice, you'll regret it even more than that. But no, it doesn't say you should spend your youth gathering wealth. That's not the, what the grammar suggests. How do we take our practice to the next level at home? Mindfulness of many things at once? Or increased frequency at which your awareness picks up things in the present? Well, there is no next level. Practice only has one level. It only is mindfulness. So, I mean, okay, I guess what you're saying is how do I how do I make it more fruitful? Um, there's nothing. There's no secret. You just have to practice more, train more, um, and potentially have a teacher uh, to guide you through it. So we have the at home meditation course. I don't know if you've done our at home course or not. But no, these things you suggest are not it. There's no, there's no um, form of meditation you could do to somehow speed it up. That's just greed talking. You're just craving for something better, and that's just thinking that you can somehow control it. It goes against mindfulness to try and do such a thing. All you can do is spend more time in meditation and more time cultivating the same things. And uh, to find a teacher and to do intensive. If you really want to, quote-unquote, take it to the next level, you have to do some intensive practice. Come to a meditation center, do an intensive meditation course, and really gain a much, much deeper uh, skill and appreciation, understanding of the practice. What is needed to be a Buddhist? Do I need to believe in something, or is it just that I practice mindfulness? What's needed to be a Buddhist is to follow the Buddha or the Buddha's teachings. I think either of those would technically make you a Buddhist. Some some people might not follow the teachings, but they follow the Buddha in the sense that they uh, like him or they revere him, they take him as their refuge, that sort of thing. But I think um, I don't think the Buddha would, would really endorse someone who just followed him or had faith in him as being Buddhist. You, you really, to, to really be a Buddhist, from a Buddhist perspective, you have to practice the teachings. Uh, you don't have to believe in anything. You have to, um, you, you can't believe in something contrary to the Buddha's teaching. If you believe the Buddha was wrong, then I don't think you can really call yourself a Buddhist. If you say, this is, the Buddha taught this and this is wrong, that would be the thing. So you, if you believe that, if you believe in things that the Buddha taught were wrong, then I think, uh, in let's put it, if if you hold to that belief then you really can't call yourself a buddhist but we all have such beliefs that we're trying we're struggling with and you can still call yourself a buddhist if you're struggling with them but you can't affirm in your mind i'm a buddhist who doesn't believe the buddhist teachings that's just a contradictory statement that's the point so you kind of have to have something like faith in that aspect you just you have to have the negative faith you can't have you have to not have certain types of faith if you have faith that goes against like i believe this that goes against the buddha's teaching but i'm still a buddhist you can't do that that's the point one time i got extreme clarity with a third person perspective towards situations behavior of other people and my role in it without bias 
Can meditation help to gain such a state of mind willfully? And certain types of meditation certainly can. It's not the point of mindfulness, though it might happen from time to time. Clinging to that state is only going to cause you stress and suffering. So my caution is to not get attached to such states. Try and be as mindful as you can, even through those states. This sounds potentially positive, but clinging to it is not going to serve your best interest. How much time do you think I should use practicing meditation with noting versus metta meditation? Well, much more. Metta is just an occasional thing you can do. It's valuable, but it should be like uh, something like 1 to 10, one-tenth metta versus yeah, 1 metta, 10 mindfulness. But I mean, just, I'm just, that's off the top of my head could be even less so if you do an if you do an hour a day or let's say an ordinary person doing an hour a day of meditation mindfulness meditation they might do 5 minutes yeah 5 minutes of metta in along with that hour 1 to 10 1 to 5 if if you really want to spend let's say 10 minutes uh, going through it after the hour there's it's not on it's not that it's bad it's a it's a wholesome thing so if you spend an hour doing mindfulness and then 10 minutes 60 to 10 6 to 1 that's fine if if that if that's something you want to do really want to do that's i wouldn't tell you not to but if it cuts into your mindfulness practice i would start to say that you're not you making best use of your time As a layperson, is it better to avoid making money and buying things as much as possible? What are some examples of wholesome jobs? No, you don't have to avoid making money. You have to avoid getting busy. Um, you should be cautious about buying things. Buying things ties into requisites, possessions. Possessions are always going to be a burden and a danger they're not they're not innocent things they're not wholly positive things getting things is not a wholly a positive wholly a positive experience it's partially problematic of course it's good to get good to have you know having things is a worldly boon laba to not have is is a bad thing but as soon as you start to see it as such you're going to suffer when you don't get what you want So you have to be careful, and if you buy, then you start to get attached, and then you're greedy, and that sort of thing causes a lot of problems. As for wholesome jobs, um, well, most jobs aren't in and of themselves wholesome. They're just activities that you perform physically or mentally, and they're, as such, they're neutral. The job part of it is neutral. It's your, how you live your mind. I would I would argue that physical jobs have more potential for wholesomeness they allow more time to be mindful right if you're doing a physical job you're much more likely able to incorporate mindfulness into the job itself uh, than than if you are doing a mental job which may pay more but prevents you from being mindful it's not to say it's unwholesome in and of itself it's just that your unwholesomeness has a lot freer uh Freer rain, free rain, free rain, uh, free roam, roam free. Your your unwholesomeness is has free rain over your mind, and so it grows during the work. But uh, like I did tree planting after I went to practice meditation, I was trying to make money to go back to Thailand again, and I went to did tree planting, and I could really be mindful at times just with. Uh, repetitive motion it also really helped because i wasn't very physically strong but uh, it really helped me push through 10 hours a day of tree planting how many hours eight hours a day i don't remember lots of hours a day yeah probably eight hours a day just constant constant physical activity and i was up there with the really strong guys who were really good at it 
I was pushing myself just because I could and could be very focused and mindful. Would you please elucidate on seeing an experience clearly versus indulging on the experience? I feel most of the time I'm fooling myself thinking I'm doing the former, but actually doing the latter. Indulging isn't a reality. You, you, would, you would describe as indulging when you like something, usually, or dislike. You could indulge in anger, I suppose. But indulging has to do with reacting. The, the more accurate thing to say is you react to the experience. So seeing an experience clearly is an experience of not reacting. That's how you know you're seeing it clearly when you're not reacting to it. Do you like it? Do you dislike it? Do you have? Do you make meaning out of it? Do you make more out of it than it is? Then you're not being mindful. You're not seeing it clearly. Seeing it clearly comes from um, reaffirming, as I said, existential affirmation, where you reaffirm what it is. This is seeing. And then you see it clearly just as seeing with no judgment or extrapolation. Is it an offense to intentionally break the precepts in a lucid dream? No, because you're not actually breaking the precept. You're not actually doing it to... I mean, depends on. You know, I mean, depending on the precept. Like, suppose lying. I lied to someone in a dream. Well, you didn't actually lie to someone. It was a dream, right? You kill someone in a dream or some animal in a dream. Well, you didn't kill anyone. No, no, no one died. It was just in your mind. It doesn't mean it's not unwholesome, but it's not breaking the precepts. You, you have to understand that the precepts are are, are conventional. They're very important, but they only because they point to certain ultimate realities. If you're breaking the precepts, it's just a sign that your mind is pretty corrupt. So if you're breaking them in a dream, it's a bad sign, but it's not actually breaking the precepts. Unless you're a monk, this might be a monk. You use the word offense, and offense is usually a word we use, apathy, which is a word that monks use to describe breaking the rules. So, if you uh, there are certain rules that you probably could break, not just in a dream, but yeah, relating to a dream, it gets a bit complicated. On what basis? Go ahead. On what basis does a highly mindful person make decisions? Being equanimous, there is little point in striving. Does the focus become to continue as is and work at lowering any greed, anger, and delusion? Basically, you make decisions based on what's reasonable. I mean, mindfulness just frees you from any um, bindings to convention or or uh, views or culture or expectations um the pulls of other people you don't do things because other people want you to you do things because it's the just the right thing to do often that is because other people want you to do them but it's not just because of that it has really nothing to do with that it's more like if i don't do this this person is going to get upset so i'll just do it but it's not that's not your only factor you're just much clearer about what's actually going on and you say if i do this this will be the result and quite a simple statement it's not profound or anything but if you're not mindful you don't come to those simple conclusions like if i do this this will happen you more think oh i want this to happen so i should do this right a person who is mindful says oh if i do this this will happen and then they're clearly able to say well that's a good thing. That's the right thing. That's free from any kind of problem. And so they just do it. You just try and be reasonable. It's a, it's a good way to describe what it means to be mindful. Mindful people are very reasonable. Thank you, Bhante. That's all the questions we have aired for today. All right.
Well, thank you everyone for your questions. Thank you, Chris, Jim, whoever else is here today. Of course. For helping out. Have a good week, everyone. Sadhu. Sadhu.